Well, let's take our Bibles, and if you would, stand with me as we turn our attention toward the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 12, I'm going to pray, and then we'll get into the message. Father in heaven, I want to thank you again for the great privilege it is to stand before one of your churches to open up your word. Father, I pray that you would grant me the grace I need to preach. Father, I pray that you would give the hearers the grace they need to hear beyond their ears into their hearts. Lord, we're not looking to go through the motions tonight. We're not looking to check a box to have attended another service. We're praying, believing that you will meet with us and that you will speak to our hearts through the teaching and preaching of your word. And we're asking that you not only move among us in a way that we can identify areas that need to change, but also that we will be quick to give you and you alone the glory. We know and we confess that anything good that has to happen tonight can only happen because of you. And we promise to be quick to praise you and you alone for whatever good will come from this service. Lord, thank you again for the privilege to be here, for the faithfulness of these people. I pray that you would answer their prayers, you would give them what they've been praying for, and that you would honor their faithfulness, allowing them to reap what they've sown. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Hebrews chapter 12, a familiar portion of scripture, our text tonight will be the first three verses of the chapter. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Thank you. You may be seated. With the Lord's help, we're going to see three things tonight that are really a charge to this church this evening. Number one, we're going to see the importance to live by faith. Number two, we are going to see the importance of laying aside weight and sin that easily besets us. And then, Lord willing, I'm going to use the third point, not only as a way to end our message tonight, but as an introduction to the next three services, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night. The idea of looking matters to a Christian. How we look, where we look, what we're looking at, what we're not looking at, what we're seeing, all of these things matter. We'll see this, Lord willing, through the week, but we'll use that last point, looking unto Jesus, as I said, as an end of this message and also as an introduction into the next three nights services. Let's look at this first point together, live by faith. Now that seems like a simple thing to say, and we know that the first letter when it was written by Paul, well, or whoever, the writer of Hebrews, okay, good, Paul, anyway, um, we, uh, we know that it wasn't divided into chapters, okay, this was given later for the benefit of reading, and, and, and we're grateful for that, and so uh, I believe that as the Holy Spirit moves the writer of Hebrews to record all of the faith chapter, as we call it, in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, all of these things that were accomplished, and then the writer says, wherefore, 
Seeing we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. There, there are so many people, you know what a witness is. A witness is somebody who can say something about something they've seen or something they've experienced. And I believe it's pointing us back to chapter 11, saying, listen to what these people are saying. And I want you to think about what that it's like for us. Because this is not just some, some cute illustration. This is real. Because these people are still living. Their, their lives and the accounts of their lives are recorded for us for our benefit. But they are people just like you and I. And in Hebrews chapter 11, we have these witnesses that are saying things to us. And if we could hear them, maybe we'd hear Abel. Say to Mount Zion tonight, listen, listen Mount Zion, it is worth it to obey God. It is worth it to worship Him the way He deserves and desires to be worshipped. Whatever way of worshipping that it might appeal to us, okay, but if God doesn't find it acceptable, then we don't want it. It's worth it to obey God. Someone say, but yeah, but didn't He die? Wasn't He murdered? I'm pretty sure Abel's fine with everything. Amen? You could talk to him right now in heaven if the Lord allowed you to go home one day or because he's alive right now. And he would say, it's, listen, it's worth it to obey God's word. Enoch would speak up and say, let me just say a couple things as well. I want to tell you that it is worth it to live life here on earth to please God. What a testimony Enoch has. Hebrews 11 records it. He had this testimony Hey, please God, what a way to be known. If the Lord doesn't return and, and I um, somehow pass away naturally or if I die in a car accident, whatever it may be, if I die, I think I would want that known of my life. He pleased God. Now, I know I haven't always, but I desire my life to have that overarching theme. He pleased God. Enoch would say it's worth it. And then Brother Noah would speak up. What, would, what could Noah say? Noah could say a lot, couldn't he? Hebrews 11 tells us that he built the ark to the saving of his family. That's important. If you were to watch him building the ark and you asked him, what, what are you doing? He'd say, I'm saving my family. I'm, I'm doing this because I believe God's word. I'm not doing this to build a neat story about my life. I, I believe God. I believe that there are rains coming. I believe that this ark is necessary. And he did it to the saving of his family. But then Noah could also say this, that the God that gave him the direction and the design also protected him through the storm. He was, listen, they were not delivered from the flood itself. They had to go through the flood. But, by the way, that's not an eschatological comment, just so you know. I don't want anyone to get sidetracked on me tonight, all right? But listen, they had to go through the flood, but they were protected through the flood. Let me give you another example to help make that make sense. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not saved from the fiery furnace. They got thrown into the fiery furnace. But they were given strength to endure without harm the fiery furnace. Daniel was not delivered from the lion's den itself. He had to go in there. He had to experience it. But he was protected through the lion's den. Does that make sense? And beloved, we are living in a day, we're going to have to really get this in our hearts as Christians. We're not promised that we're never going to go through difficult times. But the good news is, the difficult times don't have to define our attitude or our spirit or even our well-being. Because through a flood... A global flood, God protected his people. 
through a fiery furnace, through a lion's den. David says it this way in Psalm 23. We can even go through the valley of the shadow of death and we will fear no evil. Because God's with us. And I love how he writes that, by the way. We don't go into the valley of death. We go through the valley of the shadow of death. Noah would say, God can be trusted in the storm. When the rain started falling, God didn't go anywhere. God was with them even through the storm. And then Abraham would speak up. And he'd say, I want you to know, Mount Zion, God can be trusted when you do not know where you are going, but you do know who you're following. God can be trusted when you may not know where you're going, but you do know who you're following. And if you're following the Lord, you can trust him. You can trust him with even your most precious possession, like the son of my promise, Isaac, given to him in old age. And Brother Steve Seitz says amen. I don't know where he is, but he's not here tonight. Okay, sorry. If he were here, he'd say amen. Just for the record, he shared with me that testimony yesterday, so I feel like I have permission to do that. Anyway, all right. I forgot he was security. Anyway, but Abraham would say this, listen, God is not hindered by our circumstances. Sarah would say the same thing. God's not hindered by your age, ladies. God's not hindered by other people's opinions of you either. God's not hindered by your circumstance. God is a promise giver and praise him, he is a promise keeper. Isaac would speak up. And Isaac would say, especially young people, please listen, God blesses those who honor their parents. I believe Isaac was in a position he could have fought back, but he didn't. And you know what else Isaac would say? And please, please hear me, young people especially, please hear me. God can be trusted with your future. Even when it looked really bad. Like, I don't know if this is going to work. But you know what? God can be trusted. If if, if my dad said this is what God said to do, then this is what we're going to do. And Isaac would say that by faith. All of these things are by faith. Jacob, I love this testimony, Hebrews 11. You are never too old or too frail to worship God. Amen? The Bible says in Hebrews 11 that Jacob, don't turn there, but this is what he said. He's, he's blessing Joseph's sons and worshiping, leaning on his staff. Amen? His body was weak, his body was frail, but his spirit sure was willing. Amen? Leaning on his staff, but worshiping still. Why? Because his heart still had that desire for the Lord. I, I could tell you stories. You have examples right here in your own church of folks who are, who are older and, and senior saints, but yet they still have that, that desire to worship and to fellowship with the Lord. Joseph, of all the things that went through Joseph's life, the one that's recorded is about he asked his bones to be taken when they left Egypt. You notice that? And I, I think that's interesting because if we could talk to Joseph, he might say something like this. Yeah, here is how much I know God's word to be true. Here's how much I know God's promises to be real. That even after I'm dead, he's still keeping his word. Like, I, I, I'm not even going to be on earth anymore, but I believe so much God's going to keep his word that he commands them to take his bones. Talk about faith in God's promises. And then Moses. Moses could testify to us tonight that hardship with the people of God is better than pleasure with the world. 
Hardship with God's people is better than pleasure with the world, and namely because God is among his people. Exodus 33 would be a great chapter to study on the importance of, of God being with us, and that's being, that's being what separates God's people from the, from the world. Rahab is there. And you say, Rahab, what's she doing in this list? Well, she's not in the, in the tribes. You know what she would say? One of the things she could say, hearing all these patriarchs speak of God's promises, and she gets to say, you know, I've experienced that too. God will forgive anyone who believes his word. Anyone. Even a woman of Jericho, a harlot, as she's called in scripture, who believes what she's heard about God enough to act out in her life, that's faith. When you act out on what you believe, that's faith. And she believed what she'd heard. She believed the God of Israel, and God forgave her. And not only forgave her, but puts her into redemptive history. We serve a mighty good God. And what more shall I say, Mount Zion? Because time would fail me to tell you of Gideon and Barak, of Samson and Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith, and please, please listen to this list, subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of aliens. That's not a small list there. And you may say tonight, hey, listen, you know, I appreciate the message and I understand where you're going, but I don't think I'm ever going to subdue kingdoms or stop the mouths of lions or quench the violence of fire. That may be true, but there is something in there that you can do. Obtain promises. By faith, they obtained promises. And I want to encourage you, Galatians 6.9 is not just a nice verse Paul wrote to give some encouragement to the churches that scattered throughout Galatia. Listen, it's real. Be not weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. That's a promise. Understand that the promises in the Bible are not just meant to make us feel good. They're given to us by God himself to help us inform our lives and live accordingly. We have a great cloud of witnesses that say, hey, it's worth it to live by faith. And why wouldn't we want to live by faith? After all, without faith, it's impossible to please him. Is that not our desire, to please God? Well, beloved, if it is your desire to please God, that means there has to be something in your life you're doing by faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Too many of us live by fear instead of faith. And I want to encourage you tonight make a determination you are going to live by faith the only way mount zion corporately lives by faith is if the people of mount zion live by faith but secondly not only do we see in our text the importance of living by faith we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses telling us the benefit of living by faith but secondly we see the importance of laying aside weight and sin now, I'm not an old person. I'm not an old man, but I have been in the ministry a while. I've been saved for almost two decades. And I will tell you, and my experience is not authoritative, but, I, but it's observation. But I think the scriptures will, will back it up. And I think some of you folks could, probably could say the same thing. And I'm going to say something to you tonight. 
And I'm not saying that this is true, but if this church is typical of American churches, and you say, well, I don't have anything against American churches, I love American churches, but I'm most familiar with American churches. If this church is typical of American churches, then we are filled with Christians who live this way. And I, I said this to our church some time ago, but I, I, I want to share it with you. Do you know what is wrong with Christians? It's that nothing is wrong with Christians. That's a problem. If we live our lives as if nothing is wrong with our lives, there might be a problem. Because this verse was given by inspiration, telling believers like you and me to lay aside the weight and the sin in our lives. There would not be verses in the Bible like this, put off. There would not be verses in the Bible like this, confess your faults one to another. There would not be verses in the Bible like this. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There wouldn't be verses in the Bible that say to put off if there was nothing to put off. There wouldn't be verses that say confess your faults if I didn't have faults. And I praise God that this verse is in the Bible, that if I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin. And, don't forget that and, it's an important one. Because he's not being redundant. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin, praise the Lord, and to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. Why is that so important? This is my favorite part of the verse. You only clean things you want to use again. We're not disposable, beloved. You don't wash a styrofoam plate. At least I don't think so. I don't know how frugal some of you might be. Okay. That was a bad illustration. All right. My, my, my bad. Typically. Typically. Anyway. Don't ruin my illustration, Mrs. Smith. Maybe. No, what? We, we wash our dishes. We wash our clothes. Why? Because we want to use them again. Beloved, I'm not trying to be, make this too simple. Why do you think God wants to clean you? Because he's not ready to leave you on the side of the road and move on. He's cleaning you because he wants to use you again. To move on for the glory of God. We wallow around too much if we finally do get to admitting we're, 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 we're wrong. Beloved, lay aside every weight and sin is in the Bible because we have to lay aside weight and sin. And what's wrong with too many of us is we never really get honest with God about where we're at. About what's going on in our life. That's why if you didn't listen to Sunday School this morning, I'd encourage you to get the CD or go online and listen to it. it was, I just was rejoicing in my heart when he was preaching on that because it affirmed tonight's message. Sin is serious. It hinders us. It hinders us. I don't know what you need to lay aside. Sometimes religion needs to be laid aside. In order for you to continue on, maybe you haven't joined the church yet because there's things holding you back. Lay it aside and for the glory of God, get in his church, get in his body and serve. Save people, serve. We serve the Lord, we serve people. I don't know what, what religion puts weight into our lives, past experiences put weight into our lives. It, 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 it's a shame that people have experienced hurts in churches. It is a shame. But it doesn't have to define the rest of your life. There was a great revival that took place in 
the Shantung province of North China in the late 1920s and 1930s. There's a man named J. Edwin Orr. You, that might sound familiar to you because uh, he's a hymn writer. He was a preacher. And he recalled reading about a man named John Abernathy who was there in this revival in the Shantung province. And it was such a wide-sweeping revival. There was interest. How did it happen? How did the revival start? It's what we want this week. We've been praying specifically for revival, have we not? He said, How did it, what was it like to be part of it? And J. Edwin Orr was taken back by Abernathy's response because Abernathy responded that to be in that revival, here's how he described it, the revival was like judgment day. Judgment day. He said, yes, judgment day. Because it was God's people confessing sin to him and to each other. I typically don't do this, and I apologize for the length of it, but I want to read a quote from John Abernathy's journal. And I hope the Lord uses it to help drive this point home about the importance of laying aside weight and sin. On this revival in China, Abernathy said, quote, This spiritual awakening was not an evangelistic conference or crusade, but an awakening in which Christian Chinese and missionaries alike were moved by the Holy Spirit in their life. Sinners came under the terrible conviction of sin. Proud Chinese, always afraid of losing face, were struck down with conviction, confessing under the reproof of the Holy Spirit. Unconverted church members, yes, even preachers, became new creatures in Christ. Christians were filled with the Holy Spirit and endued with power for living and serving and even for dying. Before we left China in 1948, after the communists had overrun nearly all of our part of the country, we had a memorial service at Qingdu for 51 of our Baptist leaders who had been killed because they refused to give up their faith in God, take a course in communist doctrine, and then help the communists establish their ungodly atheistic regime. Some of those who died had been our personal co-workers. But all of them were 20th century martyrs, martyrs, and I doubt that we would have seen or heard of any martyrs if that time of testing had not come before the great revival. The revival broke down the wall of partition between Chinese and missionaries. There was no more feeling of superiority on either side. The term foreign devil was never heard again in places where revival had touched. Why? Because we believe Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Let me just take a step out. If there was ever a verse that should drive home why confession of sin matters, it's that one. Because if we regard iniquity in our heart, the Lord will not hear us. That's a scary thought. Listen, we can't afford to have the Lord not hear us. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We need God's grace. He continues on. At an association meeting in one of our stations, a missionary, a professor in the seminary, got up with tears on his face and said, Brothers and sisters, before I can go on, I have a confession of sin. It must be made public because it concerns everyone present. During all the years I've been in China, in my heart, I have felt that a white face was superior to a yellow one. I never spoke of this to anyone, but I'm sure you've noticed it in my actions. 
I know God has forgiven me, but I'm asking you also to forgive me of this sin and this wrong. He had no sooner sat down than a Chinese brother who had been recently convicted got up with tears in his eyes and said, it's mutual, brother, it's mutual. I have always felt that a Chinese was superior to a white. I used to wonder why you people ever came to China to begin with. You are not as cultured as we are. I thought of you as the lowest on earth. But now God has forgiven me this wrong. And I want you also to forgive me. At that revival, Americans and Chinese became one heart and soul. Let me back out of this real quick. Do you ever wonder why the Holy Spirit moved the Apostle Paul to drive the church at Corinth towards the Lord's Supper table? When they were a church that had divisions and schisms? Now listen... The Bible also says that, that that church, no other church came behind them in gifts. They were a talented, gifted church, but they had some issues. And the, Lord, the Holy Spirit moves Paul, put them toward the Lord's Supper table. Why? Because at the Lord's Supper table is where our true common union is. Communion. Christ. It often amazes me how confused our world is. How can we just find a way to, for everyone to get along? There is an evident answer for how everyone can get along. On a Sunday, walk into a New Testament Bible preaching church, and there's your answer. You find people from all different walks of life happy and together. And you know why? It's not because they found some sort of secret formula. It's because they heard the gospel, they responded to it, and Christ has made us one. That's why. The secret isn't a thing, it's a person. It's the person of Jesus Christ. And these Christians in China, they finally understood that. That they were Christians. That they had to live their life according to their Lord, their Master. And it exposed their sin. And instead of justifying it, they confessed it. They laid aside the weight and the sin that was easy, so easily besetting them. And you know what happened? It spread like wildfire. People were being made right. People were being saved. They saw true revival. He continues, quote, as a result of revival, churches, schools, hospitals, other organizations became self-supporting financially and otherwise. Before revival, it was difficult to get church members to evangelize their own people. Think about that. Before the revival, it was difficult to get church members to evangelize their own people. But after revival, they went everywhere witnessing and missionaries had to hurry to keep up with them why because the holy spirit within impelled them to carry out christ's commission they did not need persuasion or urging to do what all christians ought to do prayer was no longer just a habit or a duty to perform it became a joyous outburst of a soul seeking communion with their father the spirit within led to intercession praise and fellowship in all the churches, there were held daily an early morning meeting for prayer and Bible study. Great things happened during many of these meetings. He continues, but he ends it this way. Many people ask us how revival came. The revival came about as a result of earnest prayer by groups and individuals, faith in God, Bible study, teaching, and much preaching on sin and kindred subjects. End quote. Revival. A real one. And beloved, we don't have to buy into, well, revival is not possible anymore. Christ has not returned yet. 
But he is alive, and he is well, and he is still the head of our churches. And as long as that is true, revival is possible. God's people confessing sin, getting right with God, and then being clean vessels in which his divine oil can flow freely and powerfully, it's still possible. Revival. So how does it happen? Well, it starts weight, laying aside weight and sin. And I don't know what the weight is. And I'm, I have things, please, I don't know your heart. The Holy Spirit does, though. These are just things that are, that are a possibility. I haven't talked to Pastor Weiss intentionally about this. But we could lay aside weight. Some of, you know what? Some weight that needs to be laid aside in churches today? Laziness. Slothfulness should not be part of a believer's life. Especially in the Lord's churches. Someone who's too easily moved by emotion. We're not moved by the fact that, that people are dying and going to hell. People that live on our street are dying and going to hell. Are suffering gross abuse by, by people in their life. That doesn't move us. But what does move us is if the politician that we like is going through difficulty and we get red-faced mad about that. Beloved, lay aside that weight that so easily besets you. And if you're going to get worked up, get worked up about things that the Lord got worked up about. You ever wonder, how, how do we know the difference between righteous anger and anger? The Lord had righteous anger. He showed that through his zeal and cleaning out the temple. Amen? That wasn't, uh, you know, well, I'm just going to put a scourge together. No, he, he, he knew what God's house should be, and he cleaned house. And I'm not trying to be reverent, that's what he did. But when you look at the Lord, when the Lord looked on the religious crowd with anger, he, he looked on them, this is found in the, in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 6, I believe. Why did he look on them with anger? Because he'd asked a simple question. Should this man with a withered hand be healed? And they, they, they held their peace. They held their peace. When people who know to do right don't do it, that's a problem. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, it is what? It's sin. Now listen closely. This is very important. We, we get angry about what happens to us. The Lord got angry about wrong that was happening to other people. This is, this is a good test of our anger, what we get upset about. And beloved, I want to encourage you, if this is you tonight, lay it aside. Ask God to give you the grace you need to be filled with the, not only the Spirit, but also exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace, and gentleness, and kindness, and meekness. Maybe a weakness in your life is you're too frivolous. Maybe a weakness in your life is you're too serious. I don't know. The Holy Spirit does. And we're trusting he'll make application. But we all need to hear it. Lay aside weight. But then it says not just weight, but sin. Sin. We don't use that word a lot anymore. Or, or some places don't. I'm glad you do. We, we, uh, we call things things that the Bible doesn't call them. Right? Like it's, uh, it's cheating. He cheated on his wife. She cheated on her husband. No, you cheat at uno. Right? This is, this is adultery. This is sin. This is what God calls sin. We make, we make punchlines about things that God calls sin. But beloved, we can't afford to do that as Christians. We have to take it serious. If there is sin in our lives, it must be confessed and it must be laid aside. It must be. For the sake of this church, for the sake of your family, for the sake of yourself, 
but for the sake of the Lord's church, might be pride. We know God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And, and a reminder here, humility is not a low view of oneself. That's, that's not humility. There, there's a good book, well, I don't want to say it because I don't know if you, well, anyway. There is a book about humility, okay? And the guy said something really good in it. He said, humility is not best seen when one receives praise. Anybody can be humble then. You see it at sports all the time. Hey, you did a great job. Well, hey, it wasn't me. You know, it wasn't my teammates. He said, that's not the real test of humility. You want to know the real test of humility? It's not how one receives praise. It's how one receives blame. Say, say they've committed a wrong and then see how we respond. And so that's why I say humility is not a lowly view of our supposed good. True humility is an honest view about our own littleness. This is what happened to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. Maybe it's vanity, an admiration of one's own appearance or achievements. If, you know, if I did, i got to tell you about it. it is, I say this jokingly, but there are you know, people, if, if an Olympic sport was somehow having the skill to take anything in the world and turning it to myself, there are some people that would have a rack of gold medals, right? I mean, we just know how to make, whatever we hear, we have a story about us, whatever it might be. Well, not everything has to be about us. And we should be skilled at turning things toward Christ. Maybe it's vanity. Maybe it's gossip. You know, our, our churches in America especially, we love to pound the pulpits and talk about how sinful the world is. But God's pretty clear on what he calls an abomination. He's pretty clear on what he hates. And gossip is one of the things he hates. Now, why is that? Because God doesn't like things that harm his body. God doesn't like things that harm images of Christ. Ask Moses if, if God takes serious people messing with pictures of Christ. He does. Husbands, we, we, we better listen, right? Our marriage is supposed to be a picture of Christ's love for his, his, his church. It could be gossip. It could be sowing discord among the brethren. It could be lying. Whatever it is, it's not, it's not a weakness. It's not a character flaw. It's sin. But the good news, and I love this about our Lord, is if we will treat it like sin, so will God. Amen? God doesn't promise to forgive me if I confess my character flaw. But he does promise to forgive me when I confess my sin. When I agree with God about what it is in my life that he says it is, when I confess it and say, God, you're right. I don't, I'm not justifying this anymore. It's sin. It's wrong. I shouldn't be doing that. I shouldn't be involved in it. And I'm sorry. Forgive me. God promises to forgive me. Listen, the benefit of treating things like sin is God does as well. And praise the Lord for that. I'm so glad God forgives sin. So this command to lay aside weight and sin, which easily besets us, is it's not a, just a punitive negative statement. There's hope there. Because when we do lay it aside, look what he says. Then run with patience the race that is set before you. Amen? Get back on that track and get going. Get off the bench. Get back on the field. Whatever synonym illustration you want to use, but get back out and start serving. And the question is then, how do we stay there? And that's our last point. And this is really the introduction for the rest of the week. Is not only is it important to live by faith, and I hope that you do, not only is it important for you to lay aside weight and sin and be honest with that, be honest tonight 
Lord, if there's something that I have to, to get right, give me the grace I need to make it right. Let me lay it aside and let me move on for your glory. But as I run the race, help me do what the writer of Hebrews said to do. Help me keep looking to Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. Now, this is such a, a, a neat verse because this first word here in verse 2, looking, it's the only time in the New Testament that this word is found. It's not the only time the word look is found, but this particular verb, this is the only compound word, excuse me, this is the only time this compound word is used in the New Testament. And the reason is because it's more than just look at. It begins with look away so that you can look at. It's intentional. It's saying look off this, this is that, the, the, this uh, prefix that's used. It's like a looking off of. So stop looking at this and start looking over there. Listen, we are easily distracted, are we not? And the devil knows that. This world knows that. And it puts a dozen things on our phones, on our TVs, in our radios, whatever it may be. There are a, a thousand things to be distracted by. If there was ever a generation that had to be told, hey, stop looking over there and start looking to Jesus, it's our generation. It was needed here. They wrote it 2,000 years ago, but it is needed now. And I love that because it's not just look to Jesus. And if we, if we just take it as that, then we are going to be distracted again and again and again. But if we're intentional, this is the idea here. Intentionally stop looking at this and start looking unto Jesus. This is where there's change. Now, that's defined, the word, but we have a beautiful illustration of it in our, in our Bible. I'm so thankful for scriptures. Aren't you? The problem with you folks being so easy to preach to is that it's just easy to preach. So my going long is your fault, not mine, all right? I just, just so we're clear on that, I'll confess my, my saying that about you later, but uh, I want to show you this. Would you take your Bible and throw me to the book of the Revelation? The book of the Revelation. And while you're turning there, I want to remind you that looking on the Jesus is important, but make sure you're looking at the biblical Jesus. I am so thankful for the sudden interest in the life of Christ because of places like Sight and Sound Theater. There's a new series called The Chosen that's out there, and I'm not here to talk about if it's good or it's bad. If, if, if the Lord uses it to help you, then praise the Lord for it, and there's nothing wrong with that. that that's, we're, all, we're all different. That's, that's not my point. But my point is this. The world doesn't mind Jesus in a manger. The world doesn't mind Jesus on the side of the road feeding 5,000 people. The world doesn't mind that kind of Jesus. Now get him on the cross. Religion starts to narrow down how many religions like Jesus on the cross. The empty tomb is even more... But when we think of Jesus, we must think of him in biblical terms. This is very important. Because when we think of Jesus, and if all we think about is the smiling man on the side of the road, and he was that, and praise God for that. I'm not saying he wasn't. I, he was. Praise the Lord that he lived here on earth. But when you read about him now, that's not how he's described. And he is living right now. His description right now is eyes of fire. His voice is like the sound of many waters. If you've ever been next to a, a, a waterfall, you understand the overwhelming power that that has. Out of his mouth is a two-edged sword. 
Later on in the book of the Revelation, it'll talk about his eyes of fire again, his vesture dipped in blood, and on him is this title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is Jesus. So when we look at Jesus, let's make sure we're looking at the right Jesus. We're looking at the biblical Jesus. If I can say it this way, when we look to Jesus, let's make sure we're looking to Jesus as he truly is. And John found himself in a situation that he needed to look away so he could look at. It's a, it's a perfect illustration of this, ver, of this verb. It's found in the book of the Revelation, chapter 5. Verse 2, I saw a strong angel and proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? Now, this, this is important because what it's saying is, it's finally time. All of the wrongs are now going to be made right. Finally, someone will grab the reins of history and bring everything into control and everything back to the way it's supposed to be. Who is worthy to open the book? In other words, who is worthy to start the end? Who's worthy to get this rolling so everything can be made right? And no man in heaven nor on earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book neither to look thereon. Not a president, not a former president, not a congressman, not a king, not a prince, not a business owner, not a CEO, not a pastor, not a preacher, not a priest, not an imam, not a rabbi, nobody on earth or under the earth. It's no wonder John wept much. By the way, when it says here in this verse, I wept much, it doesn't mean he dabbed his eye with a Kleenex. He was sobbing. Why? Can you imagine? He, he was walking with Jesus. He's heard the state of the churches. He's heard the messages that were supposed to be given to the churches. He knows how things are supposed to be. He knows what the Lord is capable of. And this is where we're at. It's no wonder he wept much. Sobbing, grief, disappointment. But I love this. In verse 5... And one of the elders saith unto me, weep not. Amen? Behold. What does behold mean? Hey, look. Look over here. Stop crying because of that and look over here at him. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. There is hope. We just sang about it earlier tonight, praise the Lord. There is hope. Weep not, there's hope. Now, it's not going to be found around you. And God help us understand that in this present climate. We don't, we, listen, Christians can still have their joy because Jesus is still on the throne. And that's not just a cliche, it's real. It's real. So weep not. You know, you don't have to post on Facebook how bad things are going. Maybe post on Facebook how good things are going to get. We've been given all these platforms and microphones and keyboards. Let's use them for the glory of God. Stop looking at that and behold, look over there. And what did John see? He said, he told me to behold. In verse 6 he says, and I beheld. Amen. And I, I, I saw. And lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns, all powerful, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. 
And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. Verse 9, and they sung a new song. Thou art worthy to take the book, to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. You know what kind of power that is? To be able to convert and redeem people out of every kind of government, nation, tongue, tribe. That means that he's not hindered by American politics. That's what that means. It means he's not hindered by the economy in the U.S. And praise the Lord for that. It means the work that we are privileged to be part of, the advancing of the kingdom of God here on this earth, the spreading of the gospel, the preaching of the gospel, baptizing of the converts, the discipling of the converts. We, when you use this baptistry, you are doing something that Christians have been doing for 2,000 years. What a privilege. And we get to still do that. Let's keep doing that. Not looking around us, but looking unto Jesus. Look away so that you can look unto Jesus. I don't know what's distracting you. I don't know if you are distracted. But I know this. I know that Christ is far more, far more worth looking to than anything else we can look at down here. What, what, what the writer of, of Hebrews says back in our text, and then we're done with, with this. Well, with this and then an illustration. All right. <laughs> Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. Who better than the Alpha and Omega to be the author and the finisher? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now look at this, despising the shame. Did you see that? Listen closely, beloved. It was not that there was no shame. There was. It is that the joy that was before him was much greater than the shame. Now how does that apply to us? The application is this, is that the joy that is before us ought to put the struggles that we're going through now in its proper perspective. The joy that is set before us should give us the strength to endure what's going on right now. That's why we look to Jesus. We remember what he did. We consider him. He endured such contradiction, such opposition to himself. Undeservedly so. And he did that for us. Beloved, I hope that as you look to Christ, and you look to the joy set before you, that it puts the struggles around you in the right perspective. I told you earlier about that man, J. Edwin Orr. As we think of this, looking unto Jesus, Consider him that endured such contradictions of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. How you think affects how you behave, how you live. J. Edwin Orr was leaving New Zealand. He was involved in some missions work. And there was a group of children that began to sing a song to him, and he really liked the tune. He thought the tune was really nice. And he took the tune that they sang... And he applied it to Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. You know the, the verses. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. So he wrote a hymn. And I hope that we can all hear these words and say, Lord, I may not know the words by heart, but I tell you what, those truths are in my heart. And I hope that that happens tonight. We're going to have an invitation. And what an invitation is, it's a call to respond. That's what it is. It, it's 
God has spoken to you, and it's time for you to speak back. And you can do that at your seat. That is absolutely true. And I, I'm, I'm, I don't know all the, the ins and outs of how you do your invitation, but there's no, there's no magic on the platform steps up here. Sometimes it's just a, a way of making a decision more intentional. And uh, if, if that's how the Lord uses it, so be it. But everybody, and I'm, by the way, I'm not looking for a great response. I'm, that's not it. It's not about the numbers. But whether you're at your seat or whether you come forward to pray, everyone should respond, right? M myself, too. This had to get preached to me before I could preach it to you. All of us should respond. And here is the attitude that Jadwin Orr wrote. And you know the hymn. I'm not going to sing it for you because I want to be invited back tomorrow, all right? Search me, O God, and know my heart today. Try me, O Savior, know my thoughts, I pray. See if there be some wicked way in me. Cleanse me from every sin and set me free. There's a writer that knows that he will. Doesn't say, Lord, give me the grace to endure the wallowing in my guilt. No, I confess it, cleanse me. Which leads him to the second verse. I praise thee, Lord, for cleansing me from sin. Fulfill thy word and make me pure within. Fill me with fire where once I burned with shame. And grant my desire to magnify thy name. Lord, take my life. Make it wholly thine. Fill my poor heart with thy great love divine. Take all my will, my passion, self, and pride. I now surrender. Lord, in me abide. O Holy Ghost, revival comes from thee. Send a revival but start the work in me. Thy word declares thou wilt supply our need. For blessing now, O Lord, I humbly plead.